Um, my name is Dave Hind, and I'm filling in for Bob today. Um, Bob's on sabbatical, and this is his last week, actually. I've had a little bit of time to spend with Bob uh, recently, and he's been really enjoying it, had time with family and friends and some of his mentors, and I know he's feeling refreshed, and um, so we're just really glad that we could give that time to him here at Wellspring. So um, as we get going, we're going to continue to look in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It's page 1106 in your pew Bible, if you want to go ahead and turn to that. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And I've asked my friend Lauren Gunderson to come up, and she's actually going to read these verses for us. Okay, this is James two fourteen through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, And it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's a lot here in these verses in James, and James is a really practical uh, book from the Bible. And there's all these overt things, right? James is clearly calling us to action. You know, and he's saying, if you're a believer, then you should be doing things. (laughs) You should be about the business that Jesus was about. And he asks a really great question here. If we are claiming to be believers, but we have no deeds, can really say that we're believers. In fact, it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And I want to talk about that term save for a second. It's it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a churchy word, but I, I want to talk about it for a second. The word save, can such faith save them? And what the scriptures are referring to is save us from the consequences of our sin. Okay, I'm going to talk about save. Can a faith without deeds, can, can that kind of a faith that, that James would say is dead, can that kind of a faith save us from the consequences of our sins? And see, there's kind of this theological piece of these verses that Uh, I had to kind of dig into and really think about and wrestle around, and I talked with some of my friends about it. And um, 
because James is clearly calling us to action, and he says faith without deeds is dead. Can it really save us? But then there's also other scriptures that refer to the fact that we are saved by our faith. (laughs) We are saved from the consequences of our sin because of our faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If you wouldn't mind putting that up for me, Todd. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For it is by grace that we have been saved. And another way to say it, for it is by grace that we have been saved from the consequences of our sin or made right with God. And this is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. So there were times when I was reading this and looking at this like, gosh, this is, this is interesting. Maybe this is a contradiction of Scripture. And so maybe, maybe that's it, right? Contradiction of Scripture, this is it. I guess maybe we should just close down the church. Sorry, Bob. No, it's not at all. And we'll get to that. But it's not a contradiction of Scripture. James is clearly calling us to action. And he's asking a great question of us. See, because just the theology of our faith says that we are sinful. Okay, we are sinful. And because of our sin, we experience separation from God, right? That we are messed up, imperfect people. And because of that, we experience this separation from God. And so we experience this death. And the scriptures talks, they even talk about a place called hell or eternally separated from God, all right? So that leaves us in a rough place. But it says that God, in his graciousness and his unbelievable love for us, sent his son Jesus down to die on the cross so that we have faith in that, then we can be saved from those consequences of our sin. But James says, if that faith that you're talking about isn't accompanied by works, does it really save us from the consequences of our sin? I think uh, I wrote a few things down here because there are lots of people that could say this better than I have, uh, could say it. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. Okay? <laughs> we are saved by faith alone. It is our faith that saves us from the consequences of our sin, but not by faith that remains alone. You are not made right with God by works, but your works prove that you have been made right with God. Okay? We are not made right with God because of our works, but our works prove that we have been made right with God. See, I think James is saying, I want to show you how you know you are saved. I'm, yeah, I want to show you how you know you're saved, not how to get saved. Okay? Does that kind of make sense what he's saying? I want to show you how you know that your life has been made right with, with God, not how to get your life right with God. 
And so I want to look at a couple things kind of today is James is talking about a faith that's alive. He's talking about a vibrant faith. Okay? Because he says faith without actions is dead. It's stagnant. But he's talking about a faith that's alive. So I want to talk about what our faith looks like when it's alive towards others and it's alive towards God. Okay? A faith that's alive towards others and alive towards God. And he kind of starts out by talking about, you know, what it isn't. Um, In verse 9. Oh, that's not right. (laughs) 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It says, you believe there is one God. Good. See, even the demons had a theology. They understood the characteristics of God, the attributes of God. Because even the demons, they were with God in heaven, and they had this rebellion, and God cast them out. But they, they know God. They, they know his power. They move around fully aware of the power of God, and, and they shudder. They're fearful of that. Okay, And I, it's great to know the attributes of God. In fact, I wanted just to pose that question. What are some of the attributes of our God? What are some of his characteristics? Just throwing that out. Just name some characteristics of God. Some things about God. Characteristics. Ryan, you told me to ask a question, so you, you need to say something. Just. God is just. Holy all-knowing, jealous, powerful, forgiving, full of mercy, grace, right? All of these. We know these, we know these things, right? These un- unbelievable attributes of God. But James is saying, you know what? Having knowledge is great, but it doesn't make your faith alive. Having all this knowledge is great. And he says it, good, and I think he means it. He says, you believe that there is one God, good. Meaning you know the attributes of God, that's good. But that doesn't make your faith alive. That doesn't give you a faith that's alive and active and moving. So what does that look like then? to have a faith that's alive towards others. Um, And there's nothing wrong with, we should understand, we should understand um, the attributes of God. And we can even know those attributes and we can fear God and we can respect God and we can even fear his punishment. But that doesn't mean that we have a faith that's alive. A faith that's gonna continue to transform us Okay, so faith that's alive towards others, what does that look like? Well, James kind of gives us this example. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. 
See, I believe this. You know, James poses this question at the very beginning. If, you're, if you have faith but not works, can that faith save you from the consequences of sin? And that's a pretty big theological question. I'm probably not even qualified to answer that. But I do know this. <laughs> I do know this. That if our faith in God isn't moving us to serve the people that Jesus was about serving, then we don't get it. Then we're missing something. Because if our faith isn't alive towards the poor, oppressed, the orphans, widows, hurting, those betrayed, abandoned, the homeless, the broken, the lost, if our faith isn't alive towards those people, then we don't get it. Then we don't understand the goodness of God. I'm going to continue to explore that a little bit more. Um, And here's what I don't think we get. I think we get the attributes of God because we named a bunch of them. I don't think we understand where we are apart from God. Okay, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Um, put that up there. It says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. <laughs> Catch that. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live and when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Okay, catch that, the very beginning of that. You were dead in your transgressions. We are dead in our sin. doesn't say that we are sick in our sin or that we are hobbled in our sin, that our sin has slowed us down a little. It says that we are dead in our sin. (laughs) Okay? We are dead in our sin. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace that we have been saved. Do we get that? Because if we get that, our heart is going to be drawn to the things that move Jesus. And the things that move Jesus are the the orphans, those hurting, those that are lost, the abandoned, the hungry, the cold, We are going to be moved to help those people. And the other thing I think we don't get, at least I don't, I'll say this, I know I don't get this. That's us. 
right? We're messed up. I'm messed up. We are broken. Even as believers in Christ, we are broken. I'm broken. I'm hurting, right? Apart from Christ, I'm an orphan. (laughs) Apart from Christ, I am lost, okay? I stink. (laughs) That's me. And I think if if we don't understand that, then we're then we're missing it. And um, I think that's what James is calling us to. And I think that's the deeper meaning of these scriptures. You know, there's this part where it's just you can look at this scripture and just go, "We're supposed to go do something. Let's go do something." And that's okay. I mean, obedience to God is good. I mean, just God says this, so I'm going to go do it. And that's, that is good. There's lots of things in scriptures that we just need to do or not do, and that's obedience, and that's good. But a life of servanthood comes from a knowledge of knowing where we are apart from Christ and the unbelievable love that Christ has for us. You know, Jesus talks about the lost, and he says, they are harassed and lost like, a, like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, do we believe that? He talks about the hurting, the cold, the hungry, the oppressed. And I think if we fully get that that really is us and the unbelievable work that Christ did for us, we will be moved to do those things. Because I think, you know, Jesus is a game changer. <laughs> really, Jesus changes everything. And sometimes we throw that term around a little bit. You know, game changer. I throw it around. Me and my friend Jacob Kimball, we got these stretchy jeans. <laughs> and we talked about, like, man, these, these jeans are game changers. And they kind of are. I mean, these, Yeah. My son Griff came home with these jeans, and he's like, you got to try these on. And Kimball and I tried them on. We went out that day and got a pair. <laughs> but they're not really game changers. They might change my jean game a little bit, I guess. But, but Jesus changes everything, right? I mean, honestly, that God's unbelievable love for us, we were dead in our transgressions. We were utterly helpless, and at just the right time, Christ died for us. That's a game changer. And all these things that we used to strive for, money, comfort, status, pleasure, prestige, all that stuff starts to fade away, right? All that stuff starts to fade away. Allie said it last week when she was up here. She's like, you know, it's really about us giving our life away. And that's what, that's what knowing Jesus, I think, compels us to do. Now, <laughs> sometimes I'm not very good at this. I'll be the first to admit. Because the need is huge, isn't it? I mean, the need is huge. And just even lately, I mean, we've been hearing about orphans and we've been hearing about refugees and, and the work going on around the world. And there's huge needs here in our own city and town. And, 
And if we open our eyes a little bit and look around, I mean, the need is huge and sometimes it's overwhelming. And, and I'll admit, sometimes I hear of the need and it falls flat on me and I'm like, Whew, what? And one thing that I've, I've tried to always do is if the message of a need falls flat on me and I'm not moved, a lot of times I'll just be driving around and I'll be like, Lord, what is it that I don't get? <laughs> Help me get it so that I am moved by the things that move you. Now, there's a little bit of a balancing act going on here that I want to talk about. And I love the tension of Scripture Because we are made right with God by faith. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, hey, I want to give you rest. Stop striving. Stop trying to earn the love, my love, and the love of others. Stop it, the scriptures seem to be saying, right? Stop striving. Stop just being obsessed with earning my love and the love of others. Because I believe this. God is crazy about you, and God doesn't love you anymore whether you are serving him or not. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Think about that. I believe that. I believe the scriptures talk to that, that God doesn't love you anymore whether you're serving him or not. He loves you unconditionally and is crazy about you. However, (laughs) however, it is very clear from Scripture that God is continually calling us to give our life away, right? Continually calling us to give our life away. So there's this great tension. And it's a beautiful tension, I think, And here's why I think it's a beautiful tension. Because it requires a relationship with Jesus to live like this. So that we fully understand that we are saved by by grace and it's our faith. But also to, to understand who we are and who God is and that moves us to serve others. You know, um, Talking about this friendship with Jesus, you know, I think high school kids get this. And if you have teenagers, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you soon will know what I'm talking about. But when you're high school kids, when when they get friends, people that they really relate to and they really love, and they're heading out for the night or whatever, a lot of times, like, if Griff's going, I'm just like, hey, man, where are you going? Out. Um... Well, like, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm going to get Jaden, and we're going to hang out with Aaron. Like, are you guys, you guys going to eat something, or do you need some food? Oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out later. Like, is there, like, some kind of plan? I mean, like, 
God's going to watch the game? What are you going to do? I don't know. We'll figure that out later. What are you going to, are you going to be back tonight? He's, ah, I'll text you later and let you know what's going on. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter what they're doing. They want to be with their friends, right? <laughs> they get friendship. It's not what we're doing. It's who we're with. And they just want to hang out together. What they're doing is like completely secondary. And just once I want to do that to Griff. Dad, where are you going? Out. <laughs> what are you going to do? I don't know. Pick up Rich, Bill, go over to Bob's, hang out for a while. You going to eat anywhere? I don't know, man. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> you going to be home tonight? I don't know, man. I'll text you. I might just crash at Bill's. I don't know. I'll... But they get it. It's, it's who you're with. It's that friendship. And the only way for us to live in this life, I think, is to have a vital living relationship with God. And so I think just all those things that help us with our friendship with God, maybe it's worship time here. I love coming here on Sunday mornings and worship. I do. It's being in Scripture. Maybe it's your time in nature. It's your time in your, with your community of believers, whatever fosters your relationship with God so that we can know his heart. Because the more that we know the heart of Jesus, the more that we can be transformed by that. And the more that we can serve without running around like a chicken with their head cut off, all right? We can know that and, 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 and live in this, this great life that, that, that Christ calls us to. Um, so this friendship with God is key. And living in a community of believers. You know, living your faith out in a community of believers is huge. Because I know there's been times in my life when my community believers have said, hey, man, you, you seem tired. Like, maybe you need to just take a step back for a second. And that was good, wise counsel. There's also been times when my community believers that would say, hey, what's like next? Like, what are you pouring into? Like, how are you giving your life away? How are you serving? Where are you serving? Where are you challenging yourself? Are you getting too comfortable those are all great things that my community believers have been able to do uh, for me. And here's the thing, too. This is all for us. And what I mean by that, when God tells us to serve and give our life away, it's not for his benefit. God doesn't need us to reach the poor and needy and lost. He chooses to use us. And it's for our benefit when we give our life away. Because if we spend our life just trying to entertain ourselves and searching for pleasure, we're going to be miserable. <laughs> and God knows this. He made us. So when, when the scriptures and James in particular are saying, hey, you need to be serving, looking out for the needy and the poor and the hungry and the cold, the lost, it's for our benefit, <laughs> because if not, we become these self-obsessed, pleasure-seeking people that are like, well, how am I going to pass my days and entertain myself? And that, that is a miserable way to live. Um, 
I want to end with this. One thing that has helped me, I think, over the years, as far as just a vision of maybe what God is calling us to, and Paul speaks of it, is being poured out like a drink offering, pouring our lives out for the benefit of others. And there's a couple verses um, where the Apostle Paul is talking. And just like um, on the altar, they would put, you know, they'd offer up a, a lamb or whatever for God. They would pour drink, all right? They would pour it out like a, they would offer a drink offering, be poured out upon the altar. And Paul takes this, this visual and uses it several times. Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And 2 Timothy 4.6, this is where Paul, is, he's kind of got this sense that his life is coming to an end. It says, from I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I don't know, for some reason that's always been helpful for me, is, you know, is our life being poured out for others? Um, and whatever that might look like. But I think that James is clearly calling us to action. And when I think about being poured out, um, someone had to fill me to be poured out, right? And so if I'm being filled with the love of God and I understand the unbelievable grace and mercy and I'm filled up with that and I, I get that, then I can be poured out for others. Um, so I want to uh, end with that. Um, as we come to the communion table today, it's a great time to kind of reflect on some things because Jesus' blood was poured out for us, right? <laughs> Jesus' blood was poured out for us. And the scriptures um, say that we should examine our lives before taking communion. And so kind of in that spirit of examining our lives, I'm going to leave, I'm going to have Todd just put those verses back up there about being poured out. And maybe you would just have a little bit of time to think, how am I being poured out for the lives of others? Um, What does that look like for me right now or or here in the near future, whatever, but, but how am I being poured out for others? So um, give you some time. I'll pray and give you some time to kind of reflect on that. The ushers will dismiss you. Um, you can come up, tear off a little bread, dip, dip it in the wine or the, the juice. And then um, if there's a, a gluten-free option too, uh, if you would like to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Um, our time today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is active and um, that it causes us to examine our lives. God, I pray that we would all just realize where we are apart from you, that we are destitute and dead in our sin. And at just the right time, Father, you sent your son to die for us. I pray that we would know that and live in that. And uh, again, thank you for our time this morning. Amen.